uh, a big welcome if you're watching online. And as we come together, we're thankful that uh, we've brought through another week and here to worship God again. And so we pray that his spirit will be with us, teaching us and blessing us as we come together. One notice for you, uh, after the service, um, James Swanson is, and his family are over from Cyprus. And James is going to get an update of the work in Cyprus. And that will be soon after the service. But there's time to go and grab tea and coffee um, between the service and the update. So uh, if you can uh, go and grab your drinks fairly promptly. And then uh, and there's about 10-15 minutes between the service and getting started. And before we um, sing our first song, I just want to read Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though, the, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth, he breaks the bow and shatters the spear, he, turns, he burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God, I will be exalted among the nations, I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. It just seems fitting with the uh, subject tonight that Mark's going to be speaking on. Keep up your courage. How, how knowing that be still and know that I am God. And as we come into his presence uh, this evening, let's, we're going to stand and sing our first song. And with the theme, the theme on, um, on storms, uh, the second verse reads, Lord of mercy, you have heard my cry. Through the storm, you're the beacon, my song in the night. In the shelter of your wings, hear my heart's reply, singing, what a faithful God have I. Let's stand and sing.
Well, this evening's sermon is, as I say, keep up your courage, and it's based on um, the chapter that we found in Acts, Acts chapter 27, and we're going to read, uh, we're going to read the first half of the chapter together now. So the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 27, reading from verse 1. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adramtium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon. And Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea, along the coasts of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Cnidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmon. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbour was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there, on the chance that somehow they would reach Phoenix, a harbour of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running, running under the lee of a small island called Cowder, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing they would run aground on the Sotis, they lowered the gear and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo, and on the third day they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. It's quite an adventure-packed chapter, and uh, we're not going to leave it on the cliffhanger. Mark is covering the whole chapter, you'll be pleased to know. Um, so, uh, yeah, very much looking forward to um, being encouraged by God's word from that passage. We're going to sing again. Um, our, our, we're going to sing our second song. And we, again, on this theme of the storms, in the second verse we read, When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor hold and will not fail. Let's stand and sing.
Let's join together in prayer. <clears throat> Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we bow ourselves before you now, we want to thank you so much, Lord, for uh, this opportunity to come together and worship. We thank you, Lord, for an open church. We thank you, Lord, for a, a, um, a, a faithful preacher to come preach to us. We thank you, Lord, that uh, your word is ready to be read and understood. We thank you, Lord, that your offer of salvation is still open. Lord, as we bow before you, we're very aware of our own sinful state. But, Lord, we are thankful for the mercy and the love that you bring to sinners like us. And we thank you, Lord. And despite our failings and our shortcomings, Lord, we bow ourselves before you, humbly knowing and thanking you for the precious uh, salvation that we have through Jesus Christ. And Lord, there is none other like you. There is no one as powerful as you. And Lord, there is no one who can compare with your might, but also, Lord, your love and compassion. We thank you, Lord, that despite keeping the, uh, being able to keep the whole world, the universe, and all the things in it, Lord, and everything ticking over as you do, that, Lord, you have time for us. We thank you that you are uh, the one who cares. And Lord, there is no one who has our back more than you do. And we thank you so much, Lord, for the grace and the love that you show to the lost. And, uh, Lord, it's, uh, we, we have love displayed like, it, uh, it, like, like we have in no other way. And so we worship you this evening for who you are, Lord. We worship you for what you've done, for the love and the, the, uh, and the compassion that you have um, to us. And, as, Lord, as we come before you, we pray for a heart that is ready uh, to worship you, Lord, with a heart that is fully aware of who we are worshipping. And Lord, we thank you for all the blessings that we have, that Lord, there is every good thing comes from heaven. There is nothing that we are truly without. And that Lord, you have promised to make provision for us in every way. And Lord, we thank you that our daily needs are taken care of so often, Lord, in um, ways that we um, haven't asked for or uh, and, and certainly don't deserve. We thank you, Lord, that we can rest on you, knowing that you're, you are faithful and that your mercies are new every morning. And Lord, we thank you more than that, that, um, that we are secure in you, that there is nothing too hard for you. Lord, whether it's, in our, uh, whether it's in t relating to things in this life or, Lord, in the life to come, we thank you, Lord, that everything is in your hands. And Lord, there's nowhere better that we would want it. There's nowhere else we would place our cares and our worries other than the hands of, our, of the Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So as we humble ourselves before you uh, tonight, Lord, we pray that we will have a real spirit of worship in our heart because, Lord, you deserve all the honour and all the glory that we could ever give. And, uh, Lord, all that we are able to give will never be enough on this earth. But we thank you that it's not payment that you ask for from us, but that our salvation is free. But, Lord, we pray for a life committed to you, that out of love to you, that we will... Our lives will be made a, a, a living sacrifice before you. And we thank you, Lord, that we, could, we stand dressed in, uh, in the robes of uh, Jesus Christ, those robes of righteousness that will uh, see us into heaven at last. And Lord, I pray that if there are those here tonight who have not yet put their trust in you, who haven't had the um, privilege of knowing you as their saviour, that, Lord, that might be so, even tonight. We pray, Lord, that where you have started a good work, that you will finish it. We pray, Lord, that where you haven't started good work, that it might be started even this evening. But one thing we know, Lord, is that your word won't, won't return to you void. And so as we come, uh, as, as we come together um, tonight, we know, Lord, that your word is, going to be, is already being sent out. We have had the, uh, the Bible read to us, the pure word of God read to us. And, Lord, as it's uh, explained to us um, after the prayer, Lord, we pray that... Um, we want to thank you, Lord, that we are in your presence. And so we pray that your word won't return to you empty, as you have said, and that, Lord, it will have done a good work this evening. We pray that your spirit might be with us and that, Lord, moving among us, teaching us, blessing us, convicting us, you know the things that we need, Lord, and you know the way that we need to be dealt with. And so we commit our service into your hand now. But, Lord, more than that, we commit our whole lives into your hand. And with whatever's coming up this week, Lord, we pray that it won't be a distraction to our minds now as we are worshipping. We pray, Lord, that we will be able to keep our eyes firmly fixed upon you. But, Lord, we thank you so much that we can rest knowing whatever is ahead of us this week, that it is in your hands. And, Lord, while that might be uh, 
Easy for words to roll off the tongue. Lord, in practice it can be difficult, but please strengthen our faith and, um, and, and uh, help us to truly believe and walk out a faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that we can remember t- on uh, today. We, we call it Remembrance Sunday, Lord, for when we think of all the way that we have been blessed as a country in uh, across many decades. And uh, Lord, you have um, preserved this country and given us freedom that we can enjoy. And maybe something, Lord, that we are not fully aware of how great a privilege that is. But we thank you, Lord, for all those who have given their lives, have given their time and efforts uh, into protecting this country. We thank you, Lord, that there are people that care and have, uh, and over many years, Lord, have meant, it has meant that we can live the lives that we lead now. And Lord, while we are thanking you for things, we thank you as well for the engagement of um, Amy and Jonah, Lord. It's a great, uh, such a great thing to, uh, to hear about. And Lord, as we, um, we, we pray for them as they uh, go through this exciting time of their life, that, Lord, you will help them and be with them in every way, in all the plans that they have moving forward. We pray, Lord, that you will be one with them, blessing them along the journey and helping them in all the things that they need to sort out and uh, navigate as they uh, look forward to being um, married in the future. Lord, we thank you for great news like that. It's always such a joy, um, when we, especially when we think of, of what marriage represents and how, Lord, we see Jesus and the church in, in the perfect marriage. And so, Lord, we pray for your blessing to be on them in particular. And, Lord, you know that, uh, that as we come to you that we don't deserve your grace, but, Lord, we thank you for the mercy that you have um, and that, Lord, you know that this, as, uh, as we re- have Remembrance Sunday, you know that we are not without fault. And, uh, Lord, we as a nation have um, come a long way away from your word. And we don't, it's not held in the regard that it should be. Lord, it doesn't, if we're honest, it doesn't govern our, govern our um, lives and, or govern our government. Um, Lord, it's not held in the, with the esteem and regard that it should be. And Lord, we are truly sorry for that. And as a nation, Lord, we sin so much. And we as individuals contribute to that. But Lord, it seems like an impossible thing to ask um, when we see the state of play. But we ask, but we know that we are coming to, we are coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring. And Lord, we're, we're coming to the king of all kings. And so we bring our petition before thee tonight, Lord, that you will bless this country, that Lord, you will spark a revival, that you will spark, that, that you will, um, spark an appetite in each one of us um, and, and, and a belief that you will revive your church. We long to see the, the souls of the people around us saved. Lord, we long to see the, there's so many millions of people in this country and of course around the world, billions around the world who don't yet know you. And Lord, we pray that, that the people will come to know you, that you will be known. And Lord, if you're not known now, then we know that you will be when it comes to eternity, when the great day comes, that every knee will bow before you. And so we pray, Lord, it might be the desire of our heart to see people saved. We pray that we might be on fire for Jesus, that we might be so keen to share the good news. Lord, why would we hold it to ourselves? Sometimes we confess, Lord, we're really, we can be really ashamed of it. Oh, Lord, take that away. Help us to see that great, that, that, that great perspective. And Lord, when we, have, when we have been saved, when we have known forgiveness and freedom, we pray, Lord, that we will be able to, uh, that we'll be able to live in a way that reflects that. So, Father, please forgive us of our sins individually and collectively. And, uh, Lord, we ask, for, um, we ask for your blessing upon this church and all the activities already of today. Lord, we pray that when your word has been spoken, either in the services or the, the, um, the uh, rooted and thrived this morning, that, Lord, something, a seed may have been sown and it might have done, done those good who have, who have heard it. We thank you, Lord, for those opportunities and we pray that they may only increase and they may be fully utilised. Lord, give us the words to say at the right time and we pray, Lord, that uh, through it, uh, glory might come to your name and souls might be saved. Lord, we thank you for James, the safe um, trip of uh, James and Rachel come over from Cyprus. Lord, it's great to see them and we thank you for them. We thank you for the work and their efforts in Cyprus. We pray, Lord, as uh, we hear more of what's going on there after the service, Lord, we We'll commit them to you now and we ask for your blessing to be upon them as individuals and as a church. And Lord, you know all the things that concern them and burden them. And we pray that you will uh, continually show your, uh, your strong arm to them. Uphold them, we pray. 
and, um, and bless the church as, they, uh, as they've had their services today in, in Cyprus. Lord, we pray that might have been uh, a good time for them and uh, the, the truth might have been spoken. We pray, Lord, that we will be kept from um, an apathetic spirit. We pray, Lord, that you will make each one of us here, men and women, boys and girls, after God's own heart. We pray, Lord, there might be nothing more important to us than you. Lord, we, we live in a time when so much is there to distract us that, Lord, we are encouraged to have a short attention span. We pray, Lord, that we might keep our eyes firmly focused on you and whatever comes our way, Lord, whether uh, life is a, a one big storm at the moment or whether it's fairly plain sailing, we ask, Lord, that your spirit be with us, that, Lord, there will be, um, there'll be such an appetite in our heart to know more of the things of God. We pray, Lord, that we will be striving to know exactly how you will have us to live. Keep our heads buried in your word, Lord. We pray that um, our hearts might be overflowing with your love and that, uh, Lord, we might be an, an inspiration to others. We might be a witness, Lord, of, the, of your grace and that through it, uh, Lord, again, that people will come to know you, but that, Lord, above all, you will be glorified because you deserve all the glory and praise that we could ever give for a whole lifetime. So be with us, Lord, as we worship now, as we sing and as we hear Mark um, uh, speaking your word to us. We pray for him, that, Lord, you will give him the words to speak. Lord, may our ears be wide open and our hearts ready to respond to your word. We pray that we won't just sit here, Lord, and the words spoken around us, but we pray that it will, it will sink deep into our heart, take root, and that, Lord, it will um, bring us closer to you. May we feel your love and your presence around us, we pray. We ask all this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before Mark comes to preach to us, we're going to uh, sing another song. We're going to sing, God moves in a mysterious way, he's wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Let's stand and sing.
encourage you to have your Bibles open. Uh, as Luke said, we are looking at uh, Acts 27, but also the first 14 verses of uh, 28. We'll be going through it fairly uh, rapidly. There's a lot there. We didn't read it all uh, because uh, I'll be reading some of it during this message. Well, some journeys are remarkably smooth, aren't they? Yesterday, a few of us as YPs went up to London and uh, it was a piece of cake. We got on the train, got a seat, got up there, no problems at all. As we got into London, there was a big building with two big words written over it. Have courage. And I thought, don't feel like I particularly need much courage at the moment. It was great. Some journeys are not like that, though, are they? My suspicion is that if we went around the room, say we went around with a microphone, and we asked all of you to tell us a story of a, a, a terrible journey you've had, my suspicion is that there would be a lot of stories. You know, whether that just be that you're caught in traffic for just hours and hours at a standstill, whether it be that you get caught in snow, or you go to another country and you lose all your luggage, or you just go on a journey and you're just incredibly seasick for hours on end. Just horrible journeys. And uh, there may have been times in some of those journeys when you feel like you needed a bit of courage. One extreme journey uh, that went a bit wrong, didn't go quite as smoothly as planned, was Apollo 13. I expect a lot of you have seen the film. Uh, planning to go to the moon, and there's an explosion, and loads of things just go wrong. And it's got that iconic line in it, Houston, we have a problem. But there's another famous line in it as well, where you've got uh, Gene, Cra uh, Gene Franz, he's the, the flight uh, director, and he over overhears the NASA director mumbling, this will be the worst disaster NASA has ever experienced. And Gene Kranz leans in and he says, with all due respect, sir, I believe this will be our finest hour. You see, by getting those astronauts back to Earth safely, they were able dis to display their skill and determination in a way that they never would have been able to display if everything had gone perfectly smoothly. So it turns out it was one of their finest hours. Well, we're going to see a horrendous journey tonight in Acts 27 and 28. But it's one that brings great glory to God. And it also should give us great courage in God as we see what he does for these people and for Paul in particular. So the Apostle Paul is headed for Rome. He's been wanting to go there for years. This is what he says in Acts 19 verse 21. Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. And then he says, after I've been there, I must visit Rome also. Rome was the most powerful, influential city at the time. Paul longs to get there to share Jesus with them, share the good news, and hopefully the gospel will spread from there. And he also wants to go a bit further as well and spread it elsewhere. In Acts uh, 23, we actually see Jesus coming to Paul one night, and, and Jesus says this to Paul. He says, take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. So Paul knows now he's going to Rome. Jesus himself has said, this is what you're going to do. You're going to testify about me in Rome. And in Acts 27, finally, Paul is on a boat and he's on his way to Rome. Probably not quite in the way he envisaged I imagine he envisaged traveling there as a, as a missionary, as a free man, but instead he's a prisoner. And he's actually on his way to see Caesar because he's appealed to Caesar in the cases that he's in. You might think, well, a boat trip on the Mediterranean, very nice, pay good money for that. That's not quite how this pans out. Unlike Paul, we're going to travel quite quickly through the journey. And we're going to see just some of what God's teaching us along the way. There's other things that I've missed out, but we're going to see some of what God is teaching us through this journey. Well, in Acts 27 verses 1 to 3, we see that Paul is with Julius. Uh, so Julius is a Roman centurion. He's the one guarding the prisoners and guarding Paul. You've also got Aristarchus and Luke. 
Now, the fact that Paul has companions is a remarkable thing, really. Prisoners weren't allowed companions. But he's got companions, and then we see that he gets off. Uh, they stop off at Sidon, and he's allowed to go and visit his friends. And they sort of stock him up a little bit. He's given a remarkable freedom that prisoners weren't normally given. And it may be because he wasn't convicted at this point. It may be uh, because he was a Roman citizen. It may also be that he had a, an air of trustworthiness about him. But he's given a remarkable freedom, and he'll use that later. So they get back on the boat at Sidon, and I've got a little map here. So, sorry, it's reasonably small. Uh, but it shows, obviously, the Mediterranean. You can see Rome in the top left-hand corner. That's the destination. And he's on the boat, and they've just gone to Sidon. But the next stage of the journey is uh, going up past round Cyprus. So we're going to skip past Cyprus. We're going to spend some time later on that with James. Uh, but for now, we're going to skip past it. And it's hard work getting past Cyprus because the winds are... Uh, fighting against them. It's slow going. Cyprus gives them a little bit of shelter, but they, they carry on, and eventually they get to Myra. It says this, There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. So you see, they didn't have uh, sort of passenger ships in those days. You could say, you know, ticket to Rome, please. Uh, they'd had cargo ships. And basically people do a bit like hitchhiking. So say, so where are you heading with your cargo? Can we, can we jump on board? And so that's what they did. And so at Myra, they jump on a bigger ship, if you can see that. And uh, they slowly sail up to Cnidus, or Cnidus, however you say it. Um, but the winds are so strong, they, they just can't make any headway in that direction. And so they end up basically being forced south, and they go right to the south of Crete. And this takes them a substantial amount of time. But eventually, they end up on the south coast of Crete at Fair Havens. Sounds like a holiday complex, doesn't it? Fair Havens, sounds lovely. But apparently it wasn't. The vast majority of people do not want to stay there. The problem is, is that that journey to get there took so long that it says it's now past the fast. Uh, it was a sort of festival they had that happened at the end of September, early October, that sort of time. So it shows that that's already happened. So we're probably in October, around that sort of time. It's late in the year. And sailing from sort of October to February was just incredibly dangerous around that time, especially in those days with those sort of ships. It was notoriously dangerous. And so Paul says, look, Let's stay at Fairhaven. It might not be ideal, but let's stay at Fairhaven. Because if we don't, if we try going on, we're going to lose our lives and the ship is going to be lost. Now, Paul has been shipwrecked three times. He's no novice to sailing. So he knows a bit of what he's talking about. But unsurprisingly, we find in verse 11, the centurion paid more attention to the pilot or the captain and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. So surprise, surprise, don't really listen to Paul. They listen to the captain and the owner. And so they try to reach Phoenix. You might be able to see Phoenix. It's just on the west end of Crete, about 40 miles along the coast or so. They sort of think, well, the, the, the harbour there is good. It's a better place for sheltering. If we can just kind of creep along the south of Crete, we'll be good. Let's, let's aim for that. And a, a south wind blows, and they rub their hands in glee and think, perfect, this is exactly what we need to get to Phoenix. So they set off. But it's a decision they will very soon regret. It's only a couple of weeks ago or so, isn't it, that we had Storm Kieran, and it battered the south of England and the Jersey Islands and, and that sort of area. And um, it didn't feel too bad here. I didn't experience too much of it, to be fair. But in some places, it got over 100 miles an hour, the wind. So like St. Helier, for example, trees blown over. Um, this was down in West Bay in Dorset, just phenomenal size waves. 
and uh, in western France, just see the, the size of the waves. That's just Storm Kieran. It was, it was pretty bad. But they, they don't get hit by Storm Kieran. But they do get hit by what's called a northeaster. A northeaster. It's a powerful hurricane-like storm. And in this, this boat they're in, which is reasonably big in those days, but small nowadays, they're just completely powerless. You know, it's not like they've got an engine or anything. They're just completely powerless to direct where they go. And so they just end up going wherever the wind blows them. They're, they're, it says they're driven along by the wind and the waves. At one point, uh, a little island gives them a bit of respite, and so they haul in the little lifeboat that they have, um, because otherwise it's just going to get blown away. And they tie ropes around the hull to strengthen it. But as they carry on on their journey, things just get more and more desperate. They're getting thrown about all over the place. They have absolutely no control of where they're going. And uh, the crew just begin to jettison all the cargo. Uh, on the third day, it says that they throw all the tackle overboard. They're just getting rid of anything they can to make it lighter. Everything that can go, does go. And then it says this in verse 20. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. There's no sun, no stars. What do you get? Well, firstly, you get darkness. Not necessarily pitch black, but it would have been very dark. It would have been terrifying. But of course, what else do you lose if you lose the sun and you lose the stars? You lose navigation. You lose God's heavenly sat-nav system. And, and I love when it says, no small tempest. I love when it says something that's the opposite of it to, to make a point of what it was. You know, no small tempest. Basically, a big, massive storm. And they just don't know where they are. So they've sailed on. And to be honest, who knows where they are? They're somewhere in this area. They don't have a clue where they are. We don't have a clue where they were. They were just in the dark, getting blown about, getting driven by the wind. And they're just completely lost at sea. And they resign themselves to drowning. There's no RNLI. There's no life jackets. There's no radio contact with ships nearby that can pick them up. There's 276 people on board this ship. Some of them are experienced sailors. And yet all of them have resigned themselves to drowning. That's how dire the situation is. Well, all apart from Paul... This is verse 21. Since, they hadn't, uh, since they'd been without food for a long time. Do you know why they hadn't eaten? It's not because there wasn't food on the boat. It was because they were so terrified and so seasick that the thought of food just did not appeal and they couldn't eat. So they'd been without food for a long time. Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart. When I was reading this um, this week, I, I read it in a different version. I didn't realize, actually. And it said, keep up your courage. And I really like that. That's why I gave it the title. Keep up your courage. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God, to whom I belong and to whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men. For I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I've been told. But we must run aground on some island. You see, in this situation, Paul had something that no one else did. Paul had a promise from his God. See how, how he describes God when he talks about him? He says, this is the God to whom I belong. This is the God whom I worship. And God has promised him that he will stand before Caesar and that he will testify of Jesus to him. And Paul knows that will happen because God has promised it. And he also knows that because of God's goodness, 
all 276 people on board that boat will be saved. The circumstances are screaming the opposite. The circumstances are screaming that everyone will die. But when the circumstances and God's word come face to face and they clash, there's only ever one winner. And God's word wins. Right at this moment, we haven't read it, but right at this moment, there's an anchor flailing along behind this boat in the sea, desperately trying to get some sort of control and just completely failing, utterly powerless. But Paul has an anchor. Paul has an anchor that is holding him firm. Even as he's getting battered by the wind, he's getting battered by the rain, he's getting battered by his lack of food, yet even so, He's got an anchor. There is something holding him tight, something holding him safe. We sing, don't we? We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Saviour's love. That's what Paul was experiencing here in the very real billows, in the very real storm. So one of the lessons we can learn from this is that we need to be anchored in God's promises. We need to be anchored in God's promises. I wonder if Paul, when he was on this journey, remembered the words that God had given to Isaiah. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. I will be with you when you pass through the waters. Paul has a certain hope in the face of death. Sometimes people claim, don't they, that Christianity is just a crutch to help us through the the difficult times. But in this story, we see that actually it's it's in the difficult times, actually, that it's, it's only really God that can make a difference. It's only really God that lasts. All their cargo are gone. All their tackle are gone. All their grain are gone. The money and the business that they relied on, that they they were chasing, that meant so much to them, had gone. It was of no good to them. In fact, if anything, it just made things worse. None of that could save them. Their only hope in this situation is God. You know, when we face those storms in life, it has an ability to really change our value systems. It has the power to strip back everything else as we realize maybe how little value some things have, how little they can help us. It shows us what's really important. It shows us what can really make a difference. Money, for example, you know, money's a wonderful thing. It can be used for so much good but it cannot save us and we cannot take it with us when we go. Just quickly, can someone uh, shout out from verse 27 how long had they been in this storm? Verse 27. 14 nights. Two weeks They've been in this storm. Two weeks. Some of us struggle crossing the channel without feeling a little bit funny. Two weeks in a storm. Where the sailors feel like they're, um, they're sort of running towards land so that they start taking measurements. And uh, in the end, they put down anchors because they're, they're terrified of running hard onto rocks. So they put down four anchors and they pray for daylight. Doesn't say who they prayed to. I suspect it wasn't God. But the sailors are quite sneaky here. See, the, sna- uh, the sailors, they go, we're just going to put down another anchor. So, so they get in the little boat and uh, they start to go off. But Paul realizes what they're doing. You see, Paul realizes that actually what they're actually going to do, or planning to do at least, is get in that little boat and just sail off. And Paul says to the centurion, he says, if you let them get away, we will all die. 
And so the centurion and the soldiers, they, they cut off the, the boat and it, it floats away. In verse 33, it says this, As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Two weeks of storm without eating anything. You see the state that they're in? Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. Recognize that? You won't lose a hair from your head. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. You see, Paul knows that they need to eat food. They need that strength. But it's Paul's confidence in the fact that they're not going to die that enables him to stomach the food. It gives him a reason for eating it and making it worth it. And as he's eating, it becomes evident to all those around him that he really believes what he's saying. So what do you notice? Well, you notice that they're encouraged too, so they can eat as well. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. And notice how he gives thanks to God. You know, this isn't sort of aggressive evangelism. But each step of the way, he's pointing them towards his God. He's pointing them towards the one true God. To all intents and purposes here, they are still lost in the Mediterranean Sea. Their lives are still in grave danger. But they're all eating now. Because all of them are encouraged in the Lord. This week, um, on Tuesday night at the men's event, we had a, a curry night, and Paul Feezy from Crowborough, a lot of you know him, spoke about his uh, daughter a couple of years ago or so. She was incredibly ill. There were um, a couple of times when he genuinely thought um, he'd lost her. And it was a, a very powerful testimony that he shared. But he talked about the fact that even in the middle of all that, even in some of the darkest times where there was sort of real emergency going on, he felt a real nearness to God. And the thing that struck me is he said there were times when he felt joy. And it was like he couldn't explain it. It sounds almost wrong. And yet in, the, in some of those darkest times, in some of the scariest moments that that family had, he felt joy. You know, it's a very powerful testimony to all those around us when we're going through hardship and we not only say we have faith in God, but our actions show it. This is what Paul did by eating, by encouraging the others. He was showing them he really believed what he said. So just another thing to learn. It's a powerful testimony to others when they see our faith in our actions. There may be so many things in life that are just completely outside of our control. There may be times when it just feels like we're just getting driven along. Like we've tried to go in one way and we just cannot go that way. And we're just getting driven in completely the opposite direction in life to where we'd like to go. And we have no idea how to get back to where we want to be. But you know, it's in those times that we can show the world that we know who is in control. And how we respond can be a powerful witness to those around us. Well, the next bit reads a bit like a novel, verse 39 onwards. Now, when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So the idea is they're just going to sort of hammer it in the direction of the shore and hopefully make it up on the shore as, as much as they can get. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then, hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. Do you remember Paul had said they'd do that? The bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up on the surf. 
So we see here, hopefully you can see that shipwreck on Malta. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners lest any should swim away and escape. If, if soldiers were looking after prisoners and the prisoners escaped, then the soldiers faced at least as bad as the, the prisoners were going to face. So they think, well, let's just kill them all. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land. And the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. 276 weak and seasick people somehow on the shipwreck get safely into land. Some of them float in on bits of the ship. Some of them struggle in. But they're all alive. It's a miracle. And they discover they're on Malta. And they don't speak the language of, of the natives there. But we see in chapter 28, verse 2, that the natives showed remarkable kindness. In fact, it says they showed unusual kindness. Some of you have seen these sort of survivor programs where people get out to sea and it's freezing and they need to warm up, but it's raining. You've got that a little bit here. They're freezing cold and it's also starting to rain. And so the natives start getting a fire together. They start getting kindling for the fire. And what does Paul do? In his exhaustion, he starts gathering sticks. Paul is the servant leader. Even at times like this, how can I serve others? But the drama's not over for Paul. He's picking up all these sticks and uh, there's a viper in it. And this viper that sort of got warmed by the fire suddenly starts moving about and it clasps onto him, it bites him. You can imagine him sort of thinking, seriously, Lord, <laughs> I've just escaped death and, uh, and now I've got a viper on my hand. But he shakes the snake into the fire. And verse 6 shows that the natives didn't give him much chance. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But he never does. Because of God's promise. God's going to get him to Rome. Verse 7. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. Now Paul hadn't planned to go to Malta. When Paul had his big evangelistic dreams, Malta was not on his plan. The fact that they were, didn't speak the same language as well, or at least not very much of it. You know, Paul couldn't easily do one of his great speeches that he'd done, say, in Acts 17. But Malta was on God's plan for Paul. And Paul gets to show Jesus to that island. See the miracles he's involved with? See how he goes around healing people? See how they all come to him for healing? He's showing Jesus to that island. They might not have understood everything that Paul was saying. But they understood that if you're bitten by a viper and you don't die, something miraculous is going on. And they understood that all these healings were a sign of God. You see, as Paul goes around healing the sick, he's showing them Jesus in a way that they will understand. God is enabling him to demonstrate Jesus to them in a way that they will get. Now, sometimes we can have very clear ideas, can't we, of who we're going to share Jesus with. We think those are the people that, that God's got for me. And sometimes things happen. Maybe sometimes we'd really rather didn't happen. And we end up sharing Jesus with the, the unlikeliest of people. You know, God has his ways of making us bump into people that we, we really don't expect to. People that he's called to follow him. You know, over the course of human history, many Christians have started following Jesus because of unexpected sort of bumping into's. It made me think of Charles Spurgeon's testimony. 
good number of you will hear it, but basically he was, he was walking to church and there was a massive snowstorm and he realised that he was never going to get to the church that he was going to. So he ends up diving down this side street and he goes into this, this fairly small chapel. And the preacher who's due to preach that day can't get there either. And so it's this guy who's there who's like a tailor or a shoemaker or something Spurgeon didn't know. And he didn't really have much to say. He hadn't planned, bless him. He didn't expect to be speaking. But, but he didn't have much to say. But all he said is this. He, he kept repeating it. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. And that's exactly what Charles Spurgeon knew he needed to do. And he did it. And you know, thousands of people were saved and encouraged and built up through the ministry of Charles Spurgeon because God disrupted his plans that morning. So just another learning point. Always be on the lookout to share Jesus, however unlikely the opportunity may be or may seem. Always be on the lookout to share Jesus, however unlikely the opportunity may seem. Well, we don't know exactly what happened to the, the natives on, on Malta after Paul left. Uh, but we do know this is how they reacted when they uh, were there. Verse 10. They also honoured us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. So as they find this new ship, these natives fill it up with loads of supplies. And so in the past, and in this story even, you've seen Paul be a great blessing to those around him. And now what you see is these other people being a great blessing to Paul. It's often how God uses people, isn't it? To bless each other. Well, they spend three months on Malta. So they spend the winter there. And after three months, uh, they do the final leg of their journey. So they head up and they end up eventually up there and they walk their last little bit and verse 14 ends and so we came to Rome and so we came to Rome God's promises to Paul are fulfilled he did stand before Caesar in Rome not straight away but he did do it you know God hasn't promised to bring you to Rome but he has promised to bring you home. If you're a believer, might not be going to Rome, but you are going home. You know, the route may have many twists and turns along the way. There may be many unexpected things. It, it might not be the lovely straight path that we wish it was. You know, sometimes we can kind of think that, that if we're in God's promises, then it'll be a nice, safe journey. Well, Paul was right in the middle of God's promises and it was anything but easy. But he was safe. All that time he was safe because he was in God's promises. And as we face an uncertain life, as we can sometimes feel lost at sea, what do we need to do? We need to cling on to the anchor that we have in Christ. Cling on to that anchor and have courage Keep up our courage in him. Well, we're going to um, sing a final song. And I think verse 2 is the one that particularly stuck out to me. There is a hope that lifts my weary head, a consolation strong against despair, that when the world has plunged me in its deepest pit, I find the saviour there. Through present sufferings and future's fear, he whispers courage in my ear, for I am safe in everlasting arms, and they will lead me home. Let's stand and sing together.
Just a reminder that we'll close in prayer and then maybe about uh, 10 to or just after we meet back in here uh, to hear from James. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for that exciting account. Lord, we thank you for how you are glorified in and through it. Lord God, I pray that if there is anyone here tonight who does not have their anchor in you, Lord, I pray that you would show them that you are the only thing that lasts, the only thing that can keep us safe, the only thing that can make a difference when everything else is swept away. Lord, I pray that they would put their trust in you, that just like Paul, they would be able to say, this is my God who I worship. And Lord, for us, uh, those of us who can say you are my God, Lord, I pray that we would trust in your promises. Lord, that we would keep up our courage in you. Lord, that wherever life takes us, wherever circumstances hit us, Lord, that we would know that you are bringing us safe home. And Lord, I pray that in our lives and in our actions, Lord, that that may be very obvious to those around us. That others too may seek you and the hope and the certainty and the joy you give. So Lord, do be with us, be with us for the rest of this evening, I pray. Keep us, Lord, I pray that these things wouldn't uh, leave us, but Lord, that we would meditate on them and they would do us good. In Jesus' name, amen.